Hi everyone, Pastor James Reeves here, and I just want to welcome each of you to our Sunday worship experience. We are delighted that you've joining us, whether you are in person or online. Uh, what a blessing it is for us to come together and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Actually, I am with the Real Men Ministry in Alpine, Arizona, in the White Mountains. So. Uh, we're not here, but you are. And if you're new with us, we'd love for you to go to the Welcome Center. We have a wonderful gift for you. We have a smiling face that will meet you there. And, uh, and we want to give you a gift because you are a gift to us today. Also, talking about gifts, uh, generosity is something we value at Living Word Chapel because we, we serve a generous God and uh, we can never outgive God. And it's because of your giving that we're able to do everything that we do. Uh, and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We make it very easy for you to be generous, whether you give online at lwconline.org or you give in person at one of, one of the giving stations, which is located at every door, every exit door um, at both campuses, or you give through the mail. Thank you again for, for your generosity. We're really getting excited as well. First Sunday in November, we will be uh, going outside of the church. We will not have in-person services. We're going to serve our cities and uh, we will have an online service so everyone can get connected to the word to praise and worship through online but we're going to be in San Manuel the town of San Manuel we're going to be in the town of Hayden and the town of Kearney and we're going to be doing all kinds of work that's going to make those communities better so we want for you to join us we want for you to uh, purchase if you want a a serve our city shirt that are in the cafe and uh, we'd love for you to get one of those. Uh, we also <clears throat> want for you to, uh, to get ready to make a difference. We love making a difference for the glory of God, and it's because of him that we can. So uh, we, we thank you so much for taking part, and it's going to be an awesome Sunday. I want to introduce to you an, an amazing man of God, great friend of mine. His name is Pastor Jack Scholl. He's a pastor of Element City Church in Tucson, Arizona, and he's going to be bringing a message to you that's going to be life-changing. So get ready for something good. As we get ready to worship God, let's get our hearts prepared and give him glory. Amen. If you'll stand with us, let's worship the Lord this morning together.
midst of his goodness, find what you're looking for.
I've had a lot of people tell me I'm lucky, but I tell them I'm chosen. My name is Karabo Maretlani. I was born in Lesotho, Southern Africa, and was raised in the villages. When I was about five years old, I lost my father. And not long after my father's death, my mother left me at my grandmother's house and I never saw her for years. So my grandmother became a mother. She told me a lot of things, including how to read and write. But most importantly, she told me about God. Loneliness in my life began when I lost my grandma, the woman who raised me. I had to say goodbye to my love, to my grandmother. Then a year after my grandma's passing, my mother also passed away. I was faced with the sad reality of being an orphan, which is something that I dreaded the most. I had a home and a house in the villages, but I had no parents. I was alone. My uncle brought me into his home in the city. It was there in the city that I, I met a friend, actually who invited me to a church. There was a truck filled with these shoeboxes. I received a shoebox myself. And I remember that shoebox filled one of the holes in my heart, and that was the hope of having something that belonged to me. I had lost everything, so the gift of the box gave me that hope this belongs to me, and it really filled my heart. I realized God gave me what I was always in need of. I made a choice to personally seek him. Today, I have a family and I'm no longer an orphan. I know I'm chosen. Someone took their time to work hard and to pack my shoebox, and God used them to give me hope and to feel what my heart was in need of. So today, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So I'm asking you to go prepare a gift today. Pack a shoebox. Give someone hope and love somebody today. And spread the gospel. Get a box, right? Do it. Um, so glad to, to be with you today. Uh, as uh, Pastor James said, this I'm Jack, and I've been with you a few different times uh, over the years, and James and I have been friends for, oh, golly, nine years. Who says golly anymore? I, I don't know. Uh, apparently I do. Um, but for about nine years uh, in this Pastor's Covenant group, and um, I, I love the opportunity to come and speak uh, here and just be a part of, uh, of you all. I just, I appreciate so much your heart uh, at Living Word Chapel. I appreciate your heart for people and for your community as you get ready to go serve. Uh, our church does that. Uh, because we are a Sunday night church, we usually cancel on Super Bowl Sunday. And we serve in the morning because it's just, it's the Super Bowl. So anyway, uh, that's what we do. Um, but we do that as well, and, and I just love seeing the church be the church, so gathering as the church, but also getting out in the community to be that, and whether that's through shoeboxes or serving uh, like you all do, I just, I'm proud of you, 
and, and wish you all the best and um, excited to see what God will continue to do. I think your best days are still ahead and uh, the kingdom impact that he's using you to reach. And so if you have the notes that were a part of the, the bulletin there, um, I'd love for you to follow along. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to be looking at this week and then next week, a couple different practices, a couple different um, habits, maybe, if you want to look at it from that, from that perspective, that I, I think we see throughout the pages of Scripture that actually help root us into living out more and more the ways of Jesus uh, in our own individual life, in the ways of the way we're supposed to follow Jesus as a church and as his people. Uh, and, and they're kind of countercultural. Uh, and today I want to talk about one that I think is just in our American culture um, a real challenge. And this is something that uh, I, I don't speak lightly from. This is something that I feel like God has been really impressing upon me and trying to change my actual rhythms of life uh, over the last probably five to six years. And uh, so I just want to share with you kind of some of that journey that I've been on and, and I really do think it comes down to, to, to some rhythms and practices that we are to put into place that actually do root us into more and more the way of Jesus. Think about this. Uh, in the 1970s, it was reported that the average person saw between 500 and 1,600 ads a day. That, you know, whether it's magazine, article, like this is pre-internet. So just think about that. Um, so how many of you remember pre-internet? Yeah, okay. If you're under 40, you're like, I don't know. Um, 2007, market research showed us, estimated that the average person saw between, around 5,000 ads per day. So think about that. From 500 to 1,600, just a, a few years later, 5,000. 2021, uh, no official figures as of yet, but the average person is now estimated to encounter between 6,000 and 10,000 ads per day. Anyone ever feel like you're swimming in a sea of information? Yeah, you are, literally. Uh, it's how the pace of this world, and in a lot of ways, that pace uh, just has a way of, of building an undercurrent within our culture, and you probably feel it within yourself, of wanting to go faster, even if you don't have a lot to do, there's like this urgency or pace of life that seems to kind of just want to sweep you along in life. And I'm convinced that that actually can help hinder your spiritual journey. And so what I want to do today is just kind of talk about some truths that we see in the pages of Scripture. And then I want to give you four really practical things that you can do that begin to push back against that undercurrent a little bit. They're countercultural. They are not easy. Uh, they will uh, be a challenge. But I, I think it's something that if you engage in this, I promise you, as it has done for me, it will begin to help you feel like you're actually living in more the rhythms of the way Jesus would live. The truth is our pace of life can take us to places of unnoticed and dangerous spiritual depletion if we're not careful. And so a contemplative cadence is what I want to talk about today. It's a pattern for an exhausted life. It's, it's what you and I want to look at to say, hey, we're to build some rhythms into our life that actually 
help us. Uh, Rich Villatis is a pastor of a church in Queens, New York. He wrote a book called The Deeply Formed Life. Uh, came out last year. Highly recommend it. Uh, he, in the, he has this quote, as long as we remain enslaved to a culture of speed, superficiality, and distraction, we will not be the people God longs for us to be. We desperately need a spirituality that roots us in a different way. Some practices, some rhythms, some habits that we can put in place. So we're going to look at some of those uh, this week and next. So a contemplative cadence is all about slowing down. Get on with the preacher. That's the angst you feel. See, most of us aren't good with pauses. They're irritating. In fact, most of us, if we're honest, when we're in a conversation with someone and and they're a little slower in trying to get the words out, don't you find yourself trying to finish their sentences for them. Um, Like, there's just a part of it. And I'm telling you, it is that angst that's in all of us. Uh, There's this, this pace in our life. Even if we're not occupied, that just has this, this undercurrent that, that wants us to be speedy, that wants us to go a little quicker. There's a Japanese theologian, Dr. Kiyama, who wrote a book entitled The Three-Mile-An-Hour God. He was trying to convey that it's uh, when we want to connect with God, we would be wise to travel at God's speed. God has all the time in the world, and as a result, he is never in a rush. The truth is, you don't see Jesus in a rush. You see Jesus busy, and you see Jesus occupied. But what you don't see in scriptures, looking through the gospel accounts, you don't see a rushing Jesus. In fact, one time, Jairus' daughter is on the the verge of death, and the crowd is pushing, and he's trying to... Uh, Jairus is trying to get him to get to his house to save his daughter, right? And you could just feel the angst and feel the anxiety and the rush that would be there. And, and someone touches the edge of Jesus' cloak and, and he stops. Like the crowd is pushing. We're, we're moving, Jesus. And he stops. Who touched me? I'm sure Peter at that point is like, listen, everybody's bumping into you, okay? (laughs) Like, it's a big crowd here. We're on a move. We're on a mission. No, no, someone touched me. And it's into that moment that a woman who's been struggling with the issue of bleeding for the last 12 years, ostracized and segregated from community, not allowed to participate in the rhythm of community because of her issue, finally steps forward and says, it was me. Jesus heals her, not only physically, but emotionally, reinstates her publicly back into community life. 
And then Jairus' servant comes. Hey, your daughter's passed. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus says to Jairus, just believe. And he goes on. Does he run? No. He gets to Jairus' house. He wakes a dead girl up. Think about that. I mean, the reality is when you study the life of Jesus, there is a rhythm to his life that is drastically different, I'll say, than for me. In the culture in which I live, in the pace of which I'm pushed, there's just a difference. And I wonder if Jesus is on to something that maybe I'm missing. And maybe you would admit that you miss it as well. Dr. Kiyoma's claim is that God travels at three miles an hour, which is not an arbitrary figure. On average, humans walk at three miles an hour. It's into such ambling and unhurried, leisurely moments that we often encounter God and his activity and his presence in our lives. N.T. writes of this, it is only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. Now, listen, this isn't a call to revert back to dial-up modems. Anyone remember those? Anyone still have your AOL account? We, we do. I don't know why. But speed and innovation has brought so many blessings and has helped us in tremendous ways. But the world keeps spinning. And if you are not intentional about a creating a contemplative cadence, to create room and margin to have contemplative patterns in your life, you may struggle to hear from God. Because the world is moving so fast that it's hard to catch up to him. Monastic patterns and practices have been uh, around for centuries, I think, partly for a reason to teach people about the beauty of silence and solitude, purposely creating room for spiritual imagination and connection. Brother Lawrence wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. The concept of the book is really straightforward. In every activity that you're ever engaged in, remember God's already there and offer your heart to him in prayer. How do you do that? Well, Paul talked about that. Pray continually. How do you do that? Well, I don't know if it's just always giving prayer requests. Maybe it's just simply being aware of the presence of God. We should recognize that monastic cadence, that contemplative cadence, we see all throughout the pages of the Bible. You think back to Moses, a man of the desert, early on molded in the ways of Egypt, you know, kind of raised up in the, the palace of, of Pharaoh. And then he sees this angst of going on between uh, a person who's beating a Hebrew slave and, and he takes matters into his own hands and does something we shouldn't do, kills that guy, and then goes on the run to avoid uh, the turmoil that would have come from that. And he spends the next 40 years in the desert tending sheep. See, we know the Moses story from when he, God calls him from the burning bush and he comes back and he leads the people of God out of Egypt, out of slavery. Like, that's the Moses we know. Did you know he spent 40 years prior to that tending sheep? Do sheep talk back to you? Nope. 
This is before Wi-Fi, before cars, 40 years. How many of you are under 40? Your entire life and then some. He spends in the quiet, in the silence, the non-commotion. David, a young man whose life was filled with stillness as a young shepherd, his younger years are marked by sheep shearing and songwriting. Long before he beats a giant or kills a bear, long before he becomes king of Israel and all the commotion that would come with being in charge. There were some rhythms, some practices in his life. Mary, a young woman marked by contemplative pondering a deep reflection. The angel Gabriel shows up, offers good news. Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's more than just the throwaway sentence that Luke puts in there. You realize that, right? He's giving us a clue, an insight into, 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 to who she is and maybe some practices and habits that she has in life. John the Baptist, the solitary prophet who spent much of his life in the wilderness. He was a man given to prayer and solitude and silence. Also had some strange man versus food things that I wouldn't eat. Maybe you wouldn't either, but he did. John cultivated a life with God in the wilderness that was, that was out of that place that he becomes the prophetic voice that begins to point people back to God's heart and prepares the way for Jesus, the Messiah who's come. Jesus himself, son of God, son of man. You cannot truly fully understand him apart from his deep commitment to monastic patterns in his life. Jesus was very active in preaching and healing and casting out demons and leading this whole new movement. But you cannot miss the reality that his life was self-contradicting in some ways. For long hours he spent in silence with the Father and in solitude. And if Jesus, the Son of God, needed that, then friend, hello. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the very, one of the last verses there. Very early in the morning, Jesus went off to an isolated place and prayed. Maybe one of my favorite verses in the Bible, but Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Often. This wasn't a one-off. This was a regular rhythm of Jesus' life. A contemplative cadence of prayer and solitude and silence. Of honing our God awareness and tapping into his presence. Connecting to get fueled up. And most of us in our country and in our cultural context, we don't like silence. In fact, we do almost everything to avoid it. They have these things now called speakers. Bluetooth, where you can have music going in your house 
everywhere you go. Music's awesome. Do you ever listen to silence? I have a kid. I love him. One of the very first things he does when he comes in is he turns the TV on. I can be home the entire day without the TV on. Can you? I, I didn't used to. But I've, I've tried to practice putting myself in situations that are countercultural. They're different than the rhythm and the current of the world around us. The truth is, we are all regularly being formed by the pace and values and voices of a busy and commotion-filled world. You are being formed by it. And so in order to be formed differently, you need to do different things. We know that if you ever wanted to have some kind of exercise pattern, if you ever wanted to eat better, like you have to do different things than just keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity, right? And so the reality is to be deeply formed, to be more like God, that calls for us to have regular rhythms that are countercultural. So practicing solitude and silence and reflection and contemplation, moving at a slower pace actually enables you to begin to maybe get in touch a little bit more with the rhythms of Jesus. A call to build a contemplative cadence into your life matters. And friend, that's what I'm inviting you into. Slowing on purpose. For some of you, the, the simplest thing you can do this week is when you go shopping, look for the longest line and get in it. Jack, that is so un-American. Yes. Yes, it is. Self-checkout is where it is. No. That's where our world is. Man, this guy pauses a lot. It's on purpose. I'm trying to get the little bit of angst that you feel sitting there for you to be okay with that. See, when you go to the doctor's office and you have to sit there for a while, we're not okay with that. And so we disappear into our phone. Thank goodness for phones now, huh? We disappear into our to-do list we disappear into dreaming of what we need to be about and, oh, I should have finished that yesterday. No, I'm, we get lost somewhere. Instead of maybe using the time to practice, what does it mean just to be fully present? Do you ever have conversations with people where not only you try to finish their sentence, but you finished the conversation already and you're trying to move across the room somewhere else? Is that just me? I don't think so. We struggle in our cultural context to be fully present. We just do. 
And so to put rhythms into practice help you with developing a contemplative cadence. One more example, the story of Mary and Martha. You're familiar with the story if you've been around church. If you haven't been around church, man, I'm stoked that you're here. I think that's awesome. And I hope that you find that this is a place you can put down roots and begin to investigate who this Jesus is, that maybe a lot of people around you are convinced that he's awesome. Maybe you're not, and that's okay. Um, but really lean in his direction. I promise you, he might actually surprise you. See, Jesus is traveling with his disciples, right? And they're continuing on their way to Jerusalem. He's actually moving to the very final week of his life where he's going to give up his life as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. That it's his life, his death, his resurrection that proves and makes a way for us to have a right relationship with God. So that's the mission he's on. It's a big deal, okay? He's continuing on their way. They come to a certain village, Bethany, just outside Jerusalem. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, right? That's like some dear, dear friends of Jesus. He shows up at their house. Here's what unfolds. Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. Anyone ever had this conversation with your parents with your, about your siblings? Mom, Dad, doesn't it seem unfair that I'm the one always cleaning my room? And I am so good at it, I actually clean her room too. Tell her to help, right? Can you imagine the angst? as you're preparing Thanksgiving meal and you're the only one in the kitchen and your sister is out there just sitting listening to Jesus. Turkeys don't cook themselves. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has what? Discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Listen, I have sympathy for Martha here, right? You look at the story, you can't give Martha like a low mark on serving. She's going over the top. Jesus is not faulting her for that. If you look at the previous story, which is all about the Good Samaritan parable, you understand that part of this is you would act, you would do something to help somebody. That's what Martha's doing. Hey, Jesus, your, your traveling crew is coming through, and like you're hungry because you've been traveling? Like, let me take care of that. So she's helpful. I bet this is how Martha is. She's probably an awesome neighbor. She's probably helping the people around here all the time. I think this is who she is. Because maybe culturally it's what you're supposed to do. And that has a way sometimes of driving things underneath us. I think if Jesus were like in our day and age, maybe he would just say, listen, um, we don't need Thanksgiving dinner. Just put out a charcuterie board. We're good. 
Like, maybe the details, getting lost in the vastness of this. I, I love the heart. But maybe you're missing out on the opportunity for the most important thing. See, women did not sit under rabbi's teaching. You, you do know that, right? In the first century Jewish context. That wasn't allowed. But for Jesus, it was allowed. Mary discovered it. I can sit. This is what a disciple does. I'm honing into my Savior. I'm honing into his teaching, to his way of life, and I'm learning from him. Or you can be distracted with a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's not the stuff is bad. It's just not maybe the best. Mary has discovered it. That's the beauty of it. She's taking advantage of the opportunity. Jesus changed everything for her. He's not blaming Martha for being concerned about preparing a meal, nor is he scolding her for attempting to make him and his disciples feel welcomed. But he did want her to understand. Because she was worried and troubled about many things, she was not making time for the most important thing. And that won't be taken away when you discover it. He's wanting Martha to rearrange her priorities. It is possible for service to Christ to degenerate into mere busy work that, long, that kind of robs you of the devotion of why you started it in the first place. Because you become so preoccupied, so busy, that you miss out on opportunities to just sit and be lavished by his love and his concern and his interest in you. That doesn't mean we don't serve. It just means we're to do some things that we don't miss out on who Jesus is, not just what he's asking us to partner in. It's aligning our life. Building a contemplative cadence is a call to less complexity, less commotion, a call to engage in contemplative attention to Jesus, to be present with him, to reflect upon him and his teachings, to sit at his feet, that the posture of my heart would find more rhythms of that than just busyness and preoccupation. And so here's what I want to do with the time I got left. Give you four practices that, uh, that I've been trying to engage in that have been helpful to me, um, that might be helpful to you. They are countercultural. They will be weird at first as you start them. Um, but my encouragement to you is that you just kind of step into these and you practice. And for some of you, like the low-hanging fruit, seriously, go find the longest line and just get in it. Like you think I'm joking. I'm not. And you'll be annoyed standing there. And you'll be like, who writes checks anymore? Why is she writing a check and when you find yourself being annoyed, go, I'm training. I'm training myself right now. Jesus, I don't know why this is training, but I'm training myself. Help me to be fully present here. Help me to understand I don't have to be in a hurry to be important. And I don't want to miss out on what you have for me. And that you love people who still write checks. In fact, you may love them more than me.
So I want to love like that. See, there's interesting things that happen. In turn, you're going to find yourself having conversations in your head a lot. You're not strange. This is training. You're going to find angst coming up. So here's uh, the first of the four. First one is this, purposefully pausing. It's not trying to fill up every square inch of your calendar. It's giving time to reflect upon life and lessons learned and to lean into what God might be saying to you. To create maybe worship moments at home. Do you realize that you have a thing in your pocket called like your phone where you can actually pull up worship music and you can worship at home for five minutes? What? What a time to be alive. Um, Like, you have the ability, not just on a Sunday morning, to actually create a moment where you can say, God, for the next five minutes, my heart is just all into you. I like this song. I'm going to listen to this song, and I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to think about you. And I don't need a full band, because I have it on my phone. The full band comes to me. Like, it's amazing. So create moments like that. For some of you, it might be that you need a social media fast or a media fast. I've done this at times. Listen, I love social media. I'm on Twitter a lot. But there are times where I'll make myself take a week off. You know what I find? That I'm average. On average, the average person touches their phone about 2,600 times a day. What? Yeah. You know what I've discovered? I'm average. There are so many times where we're like, ah, just check what, oh, I'm on fast. What do I do? I go to a doctor's office and I got to sit and wait, not get my phone out. Are you kidding me? I actually have to look at the people in the room? You want me to pray for the people in the room? All right, Lord. It's training. It's not easy. You're going to have imaginary conversations with yourself where you're annoyed at yourself. Purposefully pausing, hitting break to read, to pray, to listen, to get quiet, to slow down, to turn down the voices in your own mind in order to turn in or tune in to the voice of God more and more the practice of solitude at times in a world that is filled with noise and congestion and constant consumption. There are some times I'll take a day where I try to go and not spend a dollar. What? Yeah, I'll try to go the whole day without even spending a dollar. Not very often, mind you but occasionally. Why? Because I live in a world that is always consuming. Always. And so what if I push back against that to say, you know, today I'm not going to consume. I'm going to deliberately, intentionally try to push back against this culture that is forming me. It's shaping me. It's shaping you. Thomas Merton wrote this, solitude is to be preserved not as a luxury, but as a necessity. Not for perfection so much as the simple survival in the life that God has given you. Purposefully pausing, solitude. 
I'm, I'm attempting now to dedicate one day a month for, you know, six to eight hours. Now, I can do that because I have a flexible job. I only want to work one day a week. I'm just kidding. Um, but, like, I have a flexible job. Not everybody has a flexible job where they can do that. I get that. But I'm trying to create moments where I can purposely pause and just read, reflect, think, not consume, but be tuned into who God is. The, the greatest, one of the greatest experiences I've done over the last four years is every summer I do a study retreat where I go away to a cabin in the White Mountains and I have spent the entire week with myself, Jesus, a few books, and my computer. That's it. The only person I talk to is the lady at Dairy Queen when I walk down to get an ice cream cone. I don't talk to anybody else. She's real nice, by the way. But that's it. Do you know how hard that was the first time? It's like for a busy person, an extrovert, a person that doesn't like silence, that was like going through detox, and some of you know what I mean. Friends, I'm telling you, that week has become the most life-giving week to me because it's so radically different than any other week I have. And it's just me and Jesus. So purposely pausing, working that into your life is really, really important. Now, for some of you, that may be a three-hour window that you have on a certain day a month. Then seize it. It doesn't have to look the same. But be intentional, be purposeful about trying to create some pause moments and opportunities for you just to sit. Maybe the, the next one is silent prayer. Silent prayer. Most of us understand prayer as like we understand dry cleaning. We pull up, pop out, Jesus, here's my list. Boom, 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 boom. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Silent prayer is, Jesus, here I am. That's it. Here I am. You know what you'll find? You have an incredible imagination. What you'll find is, oh, I didn't do that yesterday. Oh, I got to make that phone call. Oh, man, I didn't write that down. I need to remember. And you'll find yourself just a mass in distractions. And then you'll feel like, oh, I'm distracted again. You know what distractions are in that moment? An invitation for you to return. Jesus, here I am. I promise you, take 10 minutes, 10 stinking minutes, minutes this week and just get quiet now for some of you who might have toddlers running around that's a tough season I know it's a tough I've lived through it it's a tough season and quiet to you is like they all took a breath right and I get it so for some of you this is going to be easier to practice but be intentional about it. Silent prayer. Jesus, here I am. 
Silent prayer is often uneventful in a society driven by sensory uh, stimulation, distraction, and activity. Silent prayer seems to be an alien practice, not of this world. But yet our brothers and sisters, our desert fathers and desert mothers, like this was a practice that meant something. It actually helped them to be sitting still and quiet, contemplating God, maybe standing in nature, getting lost in the stillness of the focus that your creator created all this and knows the number of hairs on your head and that he's with you and around you and for you. For some of you, this might be taking a hike and just getting lost in creation. People get lost in creation and they get, they get stuck on the creation. What I want is for your mind to go to the creator, the one who made this for you and said, this is good, enjoy. That's where we go. This isn't about emptying your mind. This is about filling your mind with the most important person, Jesus. That's what it means to have silent prayer. Silent prayer is not a technique to master. It's a relationship to enter into. Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will what? I will give you rest. Not you'll find rest out here. No, no. You come to me, and I will give you rest. So silent prayer is this invitation to relationship, filling your mind with him, sitting quiet. And when you find yourself lost in distraction, simply the little prayer I've said is, Jesus, here I am. I'm coming back. And I'm just, the next 10 minutes are yours. Sometimes God whispers something. Most of the time he doesn't. Just being honest and real. Most of the times I battle my distractions. Most of the times I'm annoyed by myself. But every so often, there's just a moment that I would never have experienced if I didn't stop. Most of my life is lived not stopping. Most of your life is lived not stopping. So creating moments. Sabbath is the third one. Sabbath is keeping a regular 24-hour period of unhurried delight with no have-tos or ought-tos, resulting in deeper rest and renewal. The contemplative cadence is about slowing down our pace to create space to encounter, connect, and to be aware of God and to be transformed by his grace. And his grace is sufficient for you. Sabbath was something that was introduced, remember, when, when Moses led the people out of Egypt. Jesus, and God gives the Ten Commandments, right? You keep the Sabbath, honor it. Sabbath is this idea of remembering you are not what you produce, We live in a culture, much like for 400 years, the Hebrews caught in slavery in Egypt. Do you know what they did on Monday? They made bricks. Guess what they did on Tuesday? Made bricks. Guess what they did Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? They made bricks. And then they started over on Monday. Guess what they did? Made 400 years you are what you produce. Now listen, we live in a cultural context that you are what you produce. 
And that isn't necessarily a bad way to run a culture or to run a country, but that's horrible theology. Your identity is not stuck in what you do. Your identity is a gift given to you by Jesus himself. You are chosen, like the video said. You are mine. You have been set apart. I'm with you. I am for you. That's your identity. And in a cultural context like America, the one we live in, man, that is countercultural. Because in our country, you are what you produce. You stop producing, stop mattering. That's what's pushed upon you. It's what's pushed upon me. No, we need to re-anchor ourselves and center ourselves. Sabbath is a way of, of helping deal with fatigue of the body, of pushing ourselves to limits that are not sustainable, or fatigue of the mind where we're barraged by so much stimuli and sound and information to process that we can hardly ever make sense of it. Sabbath is an invitation to life that isn't dominated or distorted by overwork, overthinking, overcommitment, overloaded schedule. Sabbath is a way of saying, I'm hitting pause. Jesus, I'm remembering who I am and whose I am. Now, is this easy? No. That's why many people don't do it. That's why this is countercultural. That's why there's angst even in trying these things. You have to wrestle with it. Performance production is so much of the identity of our culture. To catch your breath, to practice Sabbath, it's just, man, it is tough. That doesn't mean you don't do anything. But it does mean that you're not trying to produce something. You're trying to remember you're not a machine. God's not asking you to be one. He's asking you to be with. This is good news for all people. God cares for you and loves you, not based on how well you do or how well you perform. Sabbath is about entering into rest, resting who God is and who he says you are and all he's given you. So how do you begin to start that? Man, I, I know for me, it was really hard. Just being real. I don't do it every single week either. There are some weeks, some seasons that are a little busier than others, and, and I get that. But purposefully, I, I attempt that Friday is my Sabbath. And I, I try the best I can to protect that day and to be fully present with the people I love and not do something. I can do things, but I'm not trying to perform or produce something in that day. Does that make sense? So for some of you, this might be easier. For some of you, you're like, 24 hours, I can't do that. Well, start with 12. Can you do that? Half a day? Like, I'm telling you, this is hard work. It's not easy. Fourth one. Slow reading of scripture. It's undeniable that we often find ourselves in skimming, speed reading, speed reading, scrolling through scripture, if we choose to read the scripture. Our consumption culture has profoundly influenced the way we typically engage or don't engage with the scriptures. Instead of slowly ingesting the truth of God, we live on the surface of the text, rarely settling in enough to hear God's whispers and words to us through the text. 
Psalm 1 challenges us to rest in the scripture, not race through the scripture. Don't read to get through it. Read it to get it through you. That's very different. Sometimes that's a verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What if he just focused on that verse? Say, God, I don't even know what that means. I think I have an idea, but my cultural context like, doesn't even let me fully get my arms around what that means. So I just want to sit with that for five minutes. I'm not asking you to do a marathon here. What I'm, what I'm hopefully setting the table for you is for you to go a little bit. I can do a little bit. We want to know God relationally, not just know a bunch of stuff about God. That's radically different. My uh, pastoral verse that I feel like God gave me a long time ago is Ephesians 1.17. It says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Not just know more stuff about him. That helps to know someone better, to know more things about them. But to know someone better is relational in that. Anyone remember Ferris Bueller's day off? I'll quote Ferris Bueller. Life moves pretty fast sometimes. If you don't slow down, you might just miss it. We all have moments of busyness and preoccupation But if your busyness and preoccupation is always centered on yourself and it's never changing you or helping you anchor to something different or something bigger than yourself, then you might just be missing out on the living out the ways of Jesus. A contemplative cadence anchors us to someone bigger, to Jesus, to God himself, where we're not just swept along by the current and and culture around us that has this unending pace but we're actually beginning to not feel rushed. We don't live untethered. We don't live adrift or lost in all sorts of things. And so here's my question for you. One question and then one moment I want us to have. The question is this. Of the practices we talked about today, whether it's purposely pausing, Sabbath, silent prayer, a slow reading of scripture, maybe solitude with God, which is the one that you feel like God might be nudging your heart to say, hey, I'd like for you to take a step in engaging more in that. What might it be for you, individually? Think about that. What's the one that you want to engage in? And then if, if at any moment you want to begin to practice just the simple prayer, like I told you, just silent prayer. Um, Jesus, here I am. I'm going to give you a scripture that we're all going to practice right now. Okay? We're going to take the next 90 seconds. What? Yeah, 90 seconds of quiet. And I'm going to invite you just to, I think we have it up on the screen. This is Psalm 131, uh, the New Living Translation. And I'm going to pray this, and then we're just going to sit quiet for 60 seconds. Sound okay? And and here's what I want you to do. is just think about this. Think about what we just talked about. Maybe asking God, okay, what's what's the one practice that you'd like for me 
to begin to step into a little bit more. So here it is, Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters that are too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yeah, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This passage says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. You just put your name in there. O Jack, put your hope in the Lord now and always. So Father, we give you this minute. Here we are. Father, here we are. We're an easily distracted people. I'm an easily distracted guy. So would you help us to know that distractions are are a way to summon us back to return to you? God, for some of us, this whole idea of silence, solitude... It's never even something we've thought about. Because if we're honest, to get quiet means to deal with maybe some of the things and rhythms of our own life that just wreck us. And it's just easier to keep going. It's just easier to keep busy. It's easier to keep commotion. But there's some healing that you want to do. For some of us, We're just caught up in the pace of life and just kind of swept away even by maybe the season of life we're in. The idea of purposefully pausing doesn't even register on the radar. Maybe that's what we need to do. For some of us, we're so caught up in our to-do list And we love to help people, which is awesome. But in some ways, we never really even make time to help ourselves. And we can't give what we don't have. So would you allow the whispers 
a psalm like Psalm 131 or a statement like Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus, would you help us to discover that rest, to discover that pace that we see in your life, that you often withdrew to be alone to pray. And you were busy and you were occupied and you were doing amazing things. And we can too. But if we don't build a counterbalance to the pouring out, then we will soon not have anything to pour out. So would you help us to get more comfortable with silence, solitude, pausing in life. For some of us this week, it's finding the longest line and getting in it and then just kind of listening to our conversation in our own head. Whatever our next step may be, I pray for each individual here, each individual watching online, that you will help them to be able to discover some beauty in doing some countercultural rhythms and a contemplative cadence to life. Jesus, we love you. We want to be more and more the people that you long for us to be. So thank you for our time today. Would you go with us now as we depart? Would you be with each life, each family, each soul? Would you minister to each heart in the days to come until we gather again? Thank you for the opportunity to hit pause weekly and in service. And thank you for the opportunity to learn from you, Jesus, how to live the best possible life. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Friends, if you're new here, um, we'd love to, to welcome you to the Living Word. You can uh, meet someone there in the courtyard. If, uh, if you just need prayer today, I'll, I'll stay around down front. I'd love to pray for you. Uh, if that would be helpful, visit with some folks on the way out. Um, hope I didn't put you to sleep, but uh, I really do hope and pray that maybe there would be something here that would begin to engage in a relationship with Jesus a little bit more and that you'll enjoy the process that God will do as he's refining you in that adventure. So you're going to find the longest line, and you're going to get in it. For some of you, that might be in the next half an hour. Might be tomorrow. But God bless you, friends.